Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Genesis chapter 33, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn there, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you've been here along the way, as we've been studying through uh, this, this study called Life, we've been looking at uh, the lineage of Joseph, and specifically been looking at his dad and his family, which his dad is Jacob. Last week we saw, and the week before we saw, his name changed to Israel, so uh, it's the same person, God just changed his name. But again, we saw uh, two important things in, in examining Jacob slash Israel's life. The first thing was that we should strive for the spiritual in our lives. That's what we should be striving for. A lot of the things in this world tell us to strive for money, to strive for the temporal. And it's hard for us not to strive after those things that are temporal. Uh, but as Christians, we should see the importance in striving after the spiritual. doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do with the temporal. Of course we do. We live in the temporal realm. Uh, but we should be striving after the things that are spiritual. And then the second thing is we should only stand in God's strength. And that means that we do things God's way. That's difficult. Again, it's a battle. We realize that we struggle uh, the flesh with the spirit. But again, it's the charge that we see based off of the example in Scripture to stand only in God's strength. Uh, when we have been changed by the power of God, just as Jacob was changed by God's touch there, our walk should be different. Our talk should be different. Again, we should only stand in God's strength. But at this point, Jacob, again, Joseph's father, uh, is going to meet after wrestling with God, after having his name changed, after having, after having his walk changed, is now going to try to meet with his uh, brother, his brother Esau. He's put all of his family, all of his possessions on the other side of the brook. Again, preparing to meet this brother who he had wronged 20 years before, 20 plus years before, he's, he's looking to, to try to uh, see what becomes of their relationship. He sent a peace offering, and the peace offering that he sent was designed. It was designed to be in waves, and we talked about whether that was because he wanted to overwhelm Esau with uh, so much of what he was giving him or uh, just to prolong it. Whatever the case is, uh, he sent this peace offering uh, to his brother, but this morning, Again, after wrestling with God, after the name change, after the walk change, after the life change, he faces his brother. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. He face, comes face to face basically with the past, with his brother uh, that he wronged. And again, I want, to, I want to remind you, Jacob, in receiving word about Esau coming to meet him with 400 men, feared his life. Jacob thought that it was going to be a fight. He, 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 the, the word from his people, from his camp, was that your brother's coming, but he's got 400 men with him. And so again, he has been making these preparations to try to, try to hopefully appease uh, Esau, try to, try to make this peace before they actually have this encounter. I believe Jacob didn't want to fight. Because if you know the story beforehand, Esau was the rugged guy. Esau was the hairy man. Remember, he had to put hair on him and make him seem more rugged because the Bible says that Jacob, he had nice, soft, smooth skin, and he was a, he was a, he was a pretty boy, I think is what I said. And, uh, but Jacob, I mean, but Esau was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter. He was rugged. He, he, he was the one that you didn't want to mess with, and I believe that Jacob thought that if he 
didn't appease his brother, his brother was just going to whoop him. So I think that's what Jacob had prepared for leading up to this time. So we're going to look at that and see what happens. If there is a fight, if there's a whooping, if there is, or if there's something else. So let's pray and, and get what God has. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for uh, allowing us to be here again. Thank you for the, the songs. What an amazing blessing it was to, to spend time in, in song and worshiping you and uh, to think that you are our Redeemer, our Lord, our God, who's done everything for us. God, you look over us, you watch over, you provide for us, you protect us, you even correct us, you teach us. Lord, you, you are everything that we need, and we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to gather freely in this nation and in this place uh, to ex not only exalt you, but also, again, to learn from you. Lord, for your word to speak to us. And God, that's what our desire is this morning, is that you would just use me as a vessel, that your word is what is spoken. Lord, that we would respond to you and to your Holy Spirit's leading. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's lost, they've never truly surrendered their life to you for salvation, they've never accepted that free gift of eternal life. Lord, they're here this morning, they're not sure that if they were to die today, they'd spend eternity in heaven. If there's someone like that, I pray that you would move on their heart. That before they leave this place, they would surrender their life to you. That they, they would accept that free gift of salvation. That they could leave this place knowing for sure that heaven would be their eternal home. Lord, just move that way. For those of us who have already given you our lives, again, I pray you stir our hearts. Stir our hearts together. Help us to learn from this and take this with us and apply it in our lives because it's so important. Your word is so important. Lord, we thank you again for this. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 33, we're going to start right there in verse 1. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. Now, can you hear the dramatic cinnamon music in the background? Listen. No. But it, it, just imagine it. The, 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 the theater sounds. Here comes the, the swelling of the music. I mean, Jacob, Jacob is getting nervous. He's starting to sweat a little more. He's getting more nervous as his brother and these 400 men are approaching. And look what he does. Verse 2, and he put the handmaids and their children in the foremost up front, and Leah and her children afterwards, and Rachel and Joseph in the hindermost. There's no guessing. There's no guesswork to who was more important to Jacob, right? He put Rachel and Joseph. Rachel's biological son with Jacob uh, in the very back, <laughs> you know, kind of as the waves would hit, maybe they would survive. But look what happens. And he passed over before them and he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So as he is, is approaching Esau and, and his 400 men, he begins to bow himself and he does this in, in the approach to him seven times before he actually gets to his brother. He's done just about everything that he could do to humbly extend peace to his brother. He, he, has, he has sent peace offerings. He has, um, uh, again, bowed himself. He has, he has done all these things. And I want you to understand something at this point in, in, in time. Uh, I know you understand it, but I want you to remember it. Remember this. There was no such things as cell phones or text messages. There, were, there was no such thing as internet or email. There were not even phones for phone calls to be had. There wasn't even a post office to send a letter at this point in time. There was no Facebook, no Facebook Messenger. There was no Instagram. There was nothing for Jacob 
to have kept a pulse on or to kept communication with or to send a message by. There was nothing for them to go off of, only what he had known in the past, only the experience he had in wronging his brother, and now what is apparent coming towards him. There was nothing that he had. So you can see the desperation that he was in. You can see the wrestling that he had with God through all of this. So I believe that's why the only expectation that Jacob, Jacob could have is based off of all the wrong that he had done, this is what he could expect. Would, would Esau still want to kill me? Would, would Esau still want to destroy me? Would he want to get revenge? Because remember, when, when Jacob left 20 years ago, Esau was mad. He wanted to kill him. Is this where, is this where he still was after 20 years, after all of this time, and, and, and as bad as I wronged him, is he still want to do me harm? Again, I think that was, was his mindset as he was overflowing in humility, overflowing in the gifts that he was extending. So how would Esau respond? How, how, if the expectation was there was going to be a fight, 20 years of, uh, was it 20 years of, of calming or was it 20 years of festering? How would this be received? Look at it, verse 4. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. I've read this many times before. There have been times, though, that that has brought tears to my eyes. Think about that. He had no idea. He had, again, no Facebook, no communication, no way to know where his brother was in their relationship. He had no idea what the response was going to be. And again, all of the buildup, all of the gifts, all of the ways, all, all of the the, the, the worry, the fret, the preparation of the family, the bowing himself in humility, he really was expecting the worst. And when, and when they actually met, Esau ran to him. He threw his arms around him. He put his head on his neck and began to kiss him. He began to weep. Can you imagine this? Some of you actually can. Maybe some of you have had a similar reconciling experience in your life. Some of you, it hits a different chord, maybe. Maybe there's something that's outstanding in your life, maybe in your family, or maybe with someone, maybe even, hopefully not, another Christian. But how beautiful is this? They meet each other. And there's an immediately a brokenness there. Verse 5, and he lifted up his eyes. He saw, looked up, lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the tr children. And he said, who, who are those that are with you? Who are all these people? And he said, the children which God has graciously given thy servant. Esau, looking at this extended family, realizing what it probably is, realizing what, what Israel now has, what Jacob now has, he was overwhelmed. Who are all these people? Who, who, is this my family? Is this your family? Are these my loved ones? Are these my, are these my nephews? Israel at this moment, Jacob at this moment of grace and forgiveness, I believe is brought to that place of realization in his life. 
Remember before, he, 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 had, he had talked about everything that he had done and, and with, his, with his father-in-law, Laban. He said, I've served you for this long for this, and I've served you for this long for this. But at this point, as he is experiencing an amazing amount of grace, an amazing amount of forgiveness from his brother, he's acknowledging that it's God that has graciously blessed him. The children which God has graciously given thy servant. Before, he was berating his father-in-law, his uncle, Laban, before he was, he was talking about all the things that he had done to get the things that he had done. I set up the, 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 the blessings of the, the, the lambs and, and the sheep, and, and I, I set up the, the, the situation with all these things. It was all about him, and now again, the forefront of his mind, at the forefront of, of his mind is the grace of God. Verse 6, and then the handmaidens came near, and they and their children, they bowed themselves, and Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And, and he said, what meanest thou by all this drove which I met? What, what were you trying to do? I mean, I just met, I mean, group after group and all these, these flocks, and they just kept coming. What, what, what were you doing with all that? And Israel, Jacob responds, and he said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. Look at Esau's response, right? I mean, because he could have said from 20 years before, you really wronged me. He could have said from 20 years before, oh, this is all uh, repayment. Oh, this is all uh, a gift of, uh, of peace for how wrong you did me. I'll take it. Thanks. You know? But again, the tone seems to be quite different here. Esau seems to be in a very different state of mind, different state of emotion as, as, as Jacob is, is saying these things and as they're having this exchange. And, and Esau is almost like, there's no need for this. There, what, are, what are you doing with, with trying to send all this stuff to me? And that's what he says. He says, I, I, I sent it to try to find grace. I mean, I, I wanted to have peace. I wanted us to have a, a good relationship. And I was thinking that maybe if I, I gave you all these things that that this is what you would, you would give me as grace and forgiveness. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. Wow. What is going on with Esau? Remember, Esau is the one that didn't care about the birthright, basically didn't care about the blessing. I mean, he did once it was taken from him, but he was willing to negotiate and barter for it. I mean, it, it, the things necessarily that were his by God it didn't really matter to him, but here, something's different with Esau. Something is, is going on, so much so that, that when he says, look, all the things that I sent to you were, were a peace offering. It's, it's, it's to find grace and favor in your side. And, and Esau's answer basically to him was this. I have you now. It's enough. I have you, my brother. You're back. We're together. That's enough. All the stuff that's yours, you keep it. You keep all that. It's enough that you and I are together. Verse 10, and Jacob said, no, 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 no. I pray thee, I'm begging you. If now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face, and, 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 and as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, he says, my blessing that is brought to thee because God has dealt graciously, graciously with me and because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. You see what happens? Both of their hearts was, were in a place of reconciliation. Both of their lives were wanting nothing but reconciliation. 
And both of their lives were in a place to where they weren't looking for themselves. They weren't looking to receive something. They just wanted the relationship restored rightly. Jacob, Jacob says, look, I, I gave all this for, for, for a gift of grace to you. And, and Esau says, no, the, the gift of grace is you, my brother. It's enough. Jacob says, no, 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 no. And again, in another moment, we see that, that Jacob's life and his perspective has changed because he's, he says this. God has done so graciously with me. I believe that Jacob in this moment even reflects back on all the the times that he had tried to be selfish and do things for himself and and even gained all these rewards and all these temporal blessings. And, And so he says, look, God has done to me what I don't deserve. And so please take this as a gift for you, my brother. The Bible says he finally took it in verse 12 and he said, Let's take our journey. Let's go. Let's go, and, and I'll go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender. They're, they're young, and the flocks and the herds with the young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. He said, Look, we're in a, we're in a difficult situation. We've got young kids. We've got young, young animals. Uh, it's not a really great situation to, to make a, maybe a, a dangerous, difficult journey. He says, Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and then I will lead on softly. We're not going to drive real hard. We're just going to go at our own pace according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children uh, be able to endure until I come to my Lord and see her. And Esau said, let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. Golly, you get this? It's, it's not just about, okay, cool, we'll see you all later. Esau is in such a place that he said, listen, let me leave some of my people with you to help you and to protect you. And he said, what needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore the name of the place, place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, um, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came uh, from, uh, from Paden Aram and pitched his tent before the city. And he, brought a parcel of field, he bought a parcel of field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of uh, Hamer and Shechem's father for a hundred pieces of money, and he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. I want to talk about two important things this morning. Hopefully we'll get through them. If not, maybe we'll just get through one. But in this story, we see something very beautiful, a a truth, uh, something that, again, maybe you've experienced in your life before, Or maybe you need experience in your life now. Point number one is this. Forgiveness frees. Forgiveness frees. You you, you felt the tension released. You, You felt the freedom in this moment in Scripture. As we're reading, you felt it just release in that moment. There, there, was, there was a freedom that was experienced there. And, and, and again, and it teaches us this. It shows us this again. But it's something the Bible says over and over and over. It's something that the children of God, the people of God, should have very active in their life, and that's forgiveness. Let's look at some of those scriptures in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Look what it says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That means all of those things should be put away from your life with all 
malice, with all hatred. I, I hate bitterness. I hate anger. I hate wrath. I hate these things in my life, and I don't want them in my life at all. That's how we should treat those things. And then he goes on and says, so do that, but also be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the standard. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's the standard of forgiveness for Christians. As we consider what Christ did for us on the cross and taking the sin, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore the weight of all of our sin, took the guilt and the punishment and the shame all for all of our sin, not just a few, all of our sins for all of the world. He took all of it. And God, for his sake, forgave us of all of it. And so that's the standard by which we are to forgive one another. He says, don't let bitterness stay in your life. Don't let wrath stay in your life. Don't let anger, revenge, clamor, evil speaking, be, don't let any of that stuff be in your life. Put it away from you. It doesn't belong in your life. But what needs to be in your life as Christians, followers of Christ, is a tender heart, kindness, and forgiveness. The type of forgiveness that God gave to you for Christ's sake. Forgiveness frees. It frees us to have some things. Without forgiveness in our life, I don't believe that we can fully have these things or embrace these things. And so here are some things that forgiveness frees us to have. First of all, it frees us to have peace. Letter A. Forgiveness frees us to have peace. To forgive as you've been forgiven keeps the door open to the peace of God. Remember, we've already talked about this. If you have peace with God because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we have the peace of God. That's the, that's the peace that passes all understanding. It's the peace that's available to Christians alone, to followers of God alone. This peace is something that carries us through even the greatest of trials, the lowest of lows, the deepest of valleys. This peace exists even in the valley of the shadow of death. But if we don't have forgiveness in our life, then we stifle and we, 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 we stuff down this, this peace that carries us through those times. That, the, the, the peace that we, we, we so enjoy in our life. Sometimes when, when people who don't have faith in, in God look at us and say, how can you be okay in times like this? Again, forgiveness, if it's not active, if it's not given, then we keep that peace from reigning in our life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, mercies, kindness, humbleness of my meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. There's the standard again. As we've been forgiven, that's how we're to forgive. And above all these things, put on charity, which is love, listen what it is, which is the bond of perfectness, completeness. And let the peace of God Rule in your hearts, to, to the which you also, uh, also you are called in one body, and be thankful. See, it's, it's, it's this, this forgiveness that frees us to have the peace of God active in our life. We are to forgive as we are been, we've been forgiven. And say, yeah, but they did something that's unspeakable to me. Again, can you imagine the weight? No, we can't. That's the truth. I'm going to answer the question already. There's no way we can imagine the weight of all of the sin of all of the world. 
I, I can't imagine the sin of one person. All of their sin for all of their life. But that's not what Christ did. He bore the sin for all man, for all time. And for that, for, for his sake, we can have that forgiveness. That's the type of forgiveness we are to have with one another. I just don't know that I can. You can with the help of God. That's, the, that's, that's, that's what Scripture is telling us. Forgiveness frees us to have the peace of God free and active in our life. I see sometimes people that are, they, they look like miserable people. They may be even Christians, and they're, they're just not experiencing the peace of God. And sometimes it's because they're not extending the forgiveness that God has forgiven them with to somebody else. It also frees us to have joy, let her be. When we forgive, it, it, it keeps joy active in our life, right? I mean, that's something that the Holy Spirit gives us. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. To, to, to have joy regardless of our circumstances. Happiness many times dependent upon circumstances. I'm not really happy right now because I'm dealing with this, or I'm not really happy right now because this is a difficult time. But joy abides. Joy is of the Holy Spirit. Joy remains regardless of circumstances. However, if we don't forgive others as we've been forgiven, then it can rob us of the joy that the Holy Spirit has given to us in our life. And we can walk around as miserable people, not happy and not joyous, because we're holding on to that that unforgiveness in our life. Philippians chapter 4 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in Him. Someone once said that bitterness will sadden your spirit. Bitterness is a depressant. There are no happy, bitter people. Bitterness will make you critical. It'll make you pessimistic. It'll make you a negative person. It will blow out the candle of joy in your heart. It will rob you of getting any enjoyment out of the life that God has given to you. That's what bitterness will do. It also, forgiveness frees us to have an actual walk with God. You say, well, I have a walk with God. I mean, just because I haven't. No, no, no. Forgiveness frees us to have an actual walk with God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now we know that when we get saved, excuse me, all of our sin is forgiven. It's, it's taken care of. The, the punishment of our sin was taken care of on the cross. When we say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I, and I confess Him as my Lord, and He begins to be the Lord and the Savior of our life because we put our faith in Him, in His death, and His resurrection, at that moment that we're changed, we become a child of God, and all of our sin is forgiven. However, we realize, just as the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, there's times I do what I don't want to do, and there's times that I don't do what I want to do. There's this battle that's within me, and it's the Spirit uh, that wants to do the law of God, but there's the law of sin in my members, and it wars against the law of the, uh, the, the Spirit. And so there's times that I'm pulled to do things in the flesh. There's times that I, that I miss the mark, and one of these things that we can do is we can give in, even to the, in, in the, in, in, as a Christian, to the flesh and sin. That sin was paid for on the cross. But that sin, if left unconfessed and unrepented, is a blockade in our relationship with God, in our fellowship with God and our fellowship with others. Psalms chapter 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
If, if we keep that sin in our life and we don't turn from it, if we don't say, God, forgive me from that, then we, we keep this, this wall between us. And unforgiveness, when we don't forgive, clearly here in Scripture it says if we don't forgive men their trespasses, then we can't go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me of this sin. He says, not, not going to happen. You need to go make it right with your brother who you do see before you come to me who you don't see. When you do that, then my child, my son, my daughter, absolutely I'll forgive you. He longs for that, I believe. He died for that. It frees us to have worship. It frees us to worship God. Similarly, there's not a prayer that we can offer. There's not a song we can sing. There's not something that we can do in our life to, to walk in fellowship and to worship God uh, if there is unforgiveness in our heart towards somebody else. Other scriptures even uh, support that about uh, if you know that there's something wrong, you need to make it right before you offer to God. Letter E, it frees us to have blessings and actually enjoy them, right? Because we know that we've got blessings in our life. But many times whenever we're consumed with bitterness and we haven't extended forgiveness, then regardless of all the many blessings in our lives, we actually we can't enjoy them. We're consumed with that, that unforgiveness. We're consumed with that bitterness. And it, and it takes away the, 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 the ability for us to see the blessings that God has given. James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who's a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or a good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. Listen to what he says. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, if, if that unforgiveness and bitter and selfishness and, and contention and strife is in your hearts, he says, don't glory about that and don't lie against the truth. This wisdom, that type of lifestyle, that type of operation and motivation in your life doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. And he says, where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above, the direction, the guidance, the wisdom that God gives is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And listen to verse 18. And, fr and, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Again, we can look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Take heed to yourself. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Let him know that he's done this. And if he's forgiven, I mean, if he's repented, then forgive him. If somebody's done something against you and they ask you, I'm sorry, forgive me, he says, then forgive them. And, and then here's the, here's the standard. Here's the hard part for us, right? And if you trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times a day, turn again to thee, saying, I'm sorry, I repent. Thou shalt forgive him. That's the hard part. Regardless, that's our Lord speaking, right? I'm, glad, I'm so glad that God didn't put a limit on how many sins he would forgive in my life. I'm so glad that God didn't put a limit on that in our life. He, he said, all your sins will be washed away. That's phenomenal. So that's why when Jesus was, was asked about this, so if somebody messes with me seven times a day, and Jesus' ultimate answer was, look, 70 times seven. Even if it was 490 times in one day, if he asked you to forgive him, then to forgive him. Our forgiveness of others is an open door to show God's forgiveness. 
It's an open, open door to show what God's forgiveness and God's grace looks like in our lives and what's possible for other people. And the final thing is, number two, grudges grab. Forgiveness frees, but grudges grab. Grudges, again, are associated with bitterness because that's what happens. If, you don't, if, you're, not giving, uh, if you're not extending forgiveness, you're holding on to a grudge. You have a grudge. That's what it is. You're not, I don't have a grudge. I'm just not forgiving. No, you have a grudge. <laughs> forgiveness frees, but grudges grab. So, so to live in forgiveness, to extend forgiveness as you've been forgiven, it frees you to have all those things, to have peace and joy and to enjoy the blessings of God, to, to, uh, to, to worship God and to walk with God. Forgiveness is a freeing element in our life. Again, we saw that with Jacob and Esau. Man, it was, a, it was a moment in time that it felt like just chains fell off for Jacob and Esau. They wept. They hugged each other. They were, they were concerned about each other. It was an amazing freeing moment. Can you imagine what the relationship would have been like at that moment if they would have said, listen, we're just going to go our own ways. If we can't deal rightly, then we're just going to, if they held on to a grudge, then they would have missed all of those things and so much more. And so do we today. That's what happens. If we hold on to it, then we miss all those things. Grudges grab. Again, they're always, it's always associated with bitterness. Grudges, bitterness, they steal things. And as long as they're present, they keep them locked up. They, they, keep, they keep things locked up that are gifts of grace from God in our life. Some very important things that grudges grab and keep locked up until forgiveness actually frees them is this, letter A, your freedom. Your freedom. Your freedom to have all those things that we talked about. So grudges grab your freedom. They keep you locked up. They keep you enchained and enslaved, as, 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 even as a child of God who's been released from the bonds of sin and, and, and released from all those things. When, when we hold on to a grudge, we enter back into this, this state of bondage. The story is told of a very bitter woman who was bitten by a rabid raccoon. Tests her run. The doctor tells her that she has rabies. She then got out a notebook, began to write down some names. The doctor asked her if she was making out her will. And she said, no. I'm making, all the, uh, I'm, I'm making a list of all the people that I'm going to bite. <laughs> that, that's what grudges do. That's what, that's what unforgiveness does. It says, you know what? Uh-uh. I, I want them to suffer. I want them to pay. The, the grudges keep us in that bondage, and it, and, and, it, and it keeps us forgetting that forgiveness that God has given to us. Grudges keep us in that, in that state of bondage. They keep us shackled and in, in, in not experiencing freedom that we have in Christ. S.I. McMillan wrote, the moment I start hating a person, I become that person's slave. I can't enjoy life. He or she controls my thoughts. I can't escape his or her grasp on my mind. He or she may be many miles away. They're always on my mind. We become a slave to the one that we can't forgive. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom. Again, this is talking about spiritual freedom. It's talking about freedom from sin and from darkness. But it's also a reality on this issue of freedom and forgiveness. The Spirit of God has no fellowship with darkness. The child of God, 
The Spirit of God inside the child of God is to, is to be the driving force that helps us to walk in the Spirit, to walk in obedience. Again, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Verse 13 tells us that we've been called to liberty, but not to use liberty as occasion to the flesh, but by love we're to serve one another as Christians. It goes on to say that you can't walk in the Spirit and walk in the flesh at the same time. You can either walk in one or walk in the other. It describes what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, and it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And against those things, there's nothing the law can indict. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The last few things is this, the joy. Letter B is your joy. Grudges grab your joy, and they keep it locked up. Again, I, I, it's, dis, it's so disheartening to see sometimes people that have not extended forgiveness to someone and to see that they may try to smile, they may try to even laugh, there may be things that are funny, and they may even experience seasons of happiness, but you can tell there's no joy in their life. It's that grudge that has grabbed it. It's, 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 it's that grudge, that unforgiveness that's keeping them enslaved and, and from experiencing the joy that the Holy Spirit has inside of them. It keeps it locked up. It's also your peace, as we talked about before, letter C, your peace. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, but now ye also put off these things, anger, mal- wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out, out of your mouth. Verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is nude in the knowledge of the image of him that created him. It goes on, it says this in verse 12, Put on therefore the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, again, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all, put on these charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule. The peace of God. Grudges grab your peace. They keep it stifled. Keep it inactive. They grab your health, letter D. Proverbs tells us that envy causes the bones to rot. Bitterness, envy, strife are often uh, associated with each other because they have the same root. So when we say, man, you can tell something's wrong, that, that sometimes it's, it's the fact that a grudge, bitterness is, is abiding, envy, something's abiding in there, and it's, and it's taking away the physical health, not just the spiritual, but the physical health. It's said that not every sick person is bitter, but every bitter person will eventually be sick. And your blessings, lastly. Bitterness will grab your blessings. The blessings of your family, the blessings of your friends. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, Thou shalt not avenge. It's not your job to repay somebody. It's not your job to get back at somebody. And you holding the grudge or you holding bitterness against them is not getting back at them. It's enslaving you. Don't avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord, he says. God will take care of the wrongs. It's our job to do what's right. It's our job to extend forgiveness. Our job to let go of grudges. 
Grudges grab uh, the blessings of our family. They, they, they grab the, the blessings of, of friendship and, and, and brothers and sisters. They, they grab the blessings of spiritual things, spiritual things as we've already talked about, like worship and prayer. They grab the spiritual things that God has given to his people, to his family, fellowship. They, they, they grab spiritual things like giving as well. James chapter 4. The last thing is, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you, don't they come, come, come they not hence, even of your lust that war against your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask not and uh, you ask and receive not because you're asking wrongly. You're asking it for your own lust. Again, James was addressing this, this issue that, that, that the people of God were warring and they were fighting with each other. And he says, why, do you, why is this in you? Why is this even present with you? It's because you have the wrong heart towards one another. You have the wrong heart towards God. You have the wrong relationship. Again, here's the truth. Grudges and unforgiveness, bitterness, keeps you from exercising sincere love. And that sincere love and sincere faith is what every single child of God is supposed to have and live with every day. So if we have a grudge, if we have unforgiveness, it's keeping us from being operate, from operating in faith and love. This morning, I, I want to encourage you to follow the example of a brother who was so devastatingly wronged by another brother who when he was approached to forgive, he willingly and graciously extended that forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, I believe that Esau had already forgiven Jacob. It was evident by him, him asking the questions, why did you send these, why did you send these, these flocks? Why are you doing all this? I believe that Esau had already forgiven Jacob in his heart. This morning, I want to encourage you, if there's forgiveness that needs to be extended, then extend it now. Don't wait. Extend it now and experience the freedom that God wants you to have. Don't continue on in shackles and don't continue on in bondage. But follow the example of Esau and experience the freedom of forgiveness because I'm telling you this. If you're struggling with it, it's going to continue to eat your lunch. It's going to continue to rob you of the things that God's given you. If you're not struggling with it, say, man, I, I don't. I've forgiven people. I, I feel like that I, I'm not holding any type of grudge right now. Remember this and remember this example. Remember this message because the next time your life is challenged with either forgiveness or holding a grudge, remember this. And as I said in the beginning, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of God for your salvation, if you've never come to a place where you say, I'm tired of living for myself, I'm tired of living in sin, I, I'm not sure that I would spend eternity in heaven with God if I died. I'm not sure about that. If you're in that place, I, I invite you today is because I've said throughout this message, what Christ died for is to forgive you of all your sins. And when you accept him, when you give your life to him, when you turn from sin and turn to him, that's what happens. All of it's washed away. All of it's forgiven. I invite you to come again. Maybe you're, you're not holding on to grace. You say, I, I'm, I'm in a good place. Maybe you just come today and you pray for those that are struggling with unforgiveness. Or maybe you come to this altar today and say, God, protect me in my life. Help me remember this message. Help me remember this example the next time I'm challenged 
with forgiving somebody. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message, again, this reminder, this encouragement, this challenge. God, help us take this important message of the truth that forgiveness frees and that grudges grab. Lord, help us remember that we are free. And part of that freedom is to forgive as, we're, as we have been forgiven. Lord, it's one of the greatest gifts. It's one of the most Christ-like things that we can do is to forgive others. We realize that we didn't deserve forgiveness. We didn't earn forgiveness ourselves. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve punishment. But in your grace and in your mercy, you took all of that on yourself and forgave us. And forgiveness is applied when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us remember that as we move forward from this message. Lord, we praise you for what you do now. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.